really physical, hard fought game. They should not come down to that. It just should. We should be played all the time. Do you remember a better defensive performance against any of your teams? Yeah, probably, but not many. And there it is. Iowa coach Fran McCaffrey after his team's 48-46 loss to Rutgers at Jersey Mike's Arena, summed it up as well as anyone could in that building. Rutgers fans, Iowa fans, you have to agree on this. That game deserved to go to overtime. It didn't. Rutgers took advantage of a foul called with 1.9 seconds to go. Questionable at best. And we'll get to that in a minute. But Ron Harper Jr. hits the free throws. Rutgers wins 48-46. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to episode 22 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian DiNovellis, and I witnessed a meat grinder of a game. I mean, I would rather get a root canal, but it was edge of your seat. I cannot miss what's going on. I cannot miss the next play because I don't know what is going to happen in this game. It was that type of a game. It was, for my money, one of the best defensive performances I have ever seen in my six years of following Steve Peichel. That has to be right at the top of his team's best defensive performances. Maybe they held a team to lower than 46 points. Maybe they held a team to lower than 28% shooting for the game. But considering the opponent, an Iowa team that came in as one of the highest scoring teams in the country, tops in the Big Ten at 86 points per game, you hold them to 46 points? Their lowest output in three years? That's defense. This was not a game that you're going to say, oh my God, that was the greatest game I've ever seen. But it was a masterpiece on how to play defense. Really both teams getting at it because Rutgers didn't exactly shoot the lights out of the gym. If you had told me before the game that Rutgers would shoot 31% for the game, two for 13 from three, I would say they're losing this game by 15 points. Defense wins championships. Defense won this Big Ten basketball game. And Rutgers has sent a message to the rest of the Big Ten. We are going to fight you. We are going to defend you. We are going to be nonstop in your face for 40 minutes. And we are going to dictate how this game is going to be played. When Rutgers does that, they can beat anyone in the country. I don't say that lightly. Let me repeat that. When Rutgers plays defense like this, they can beat anyone in the country. That is their second quad one victory of the season, both over perennial top tier teams in the Big Ten. First Purdue, then Iowa. This team is now 11 and six. They are five and two in the Big Ten. They are very much alive and kicking for an NCAA tournament berth. They're not talking about it. It's in the back of their minds, but they have put themselves back into the picture with a performance like this. After the win, I spoke with Ron Harper 
And here's what he had to say. Here with Ron Harper on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Ron, how do you feel after going through that game? Not just winning, but physically, how do you feel? Uh, I feel like it was a great win. Physically, I feel a little beat up, man. Uh, guarding the nation's leading scorer in the country. It comes with a lot of perks. You know, you're going to have to work the whole game. And, you know, once upon a time, I was top five in the country in scoring. So I know what comes with that. Everybody's going to know your plays. Everybody's going to know everything you're going to do on the court. So that's just something I tried to replicate. And being there, it was a lot easier for me to be able to guard and put myself in the best position to help my team. You held Keegan Murray to 5 of 14, 13 points, but the entire team collectively and you really made him work. What was it that you did out there that made it so tough on him? I feel like it was a whole group effort out there, and uh, I was fighting him in the post, you know, trying to get position, but I feel like our ball pressure was also elite, and they, they missed him a couple of times when he was open just because guys are harassing on the ball, and that, that's what I mean when I say it's a whole group effort. Guarding the leading scorer in the country, uh, you're going to need a lot of that. You need everybody to be connected on where he is, what he's doing, and a lot of the times I wasn't even guarding him, so uh, they do a great job of running in transition, and we had mixed match. We had to guard different dudes, dudes that we weren't uh, ready to guard, and then we just sat down and strapped it up, so it's a credit to my teammates, and, you know, we just all worked together on trying to contain him. Iowa came in averaging 86 points a game, and you hold them to a season-low 46 points. Does that impress you? Yeah, definitely. That's the old-fashioned Rutgers team that uh, that I'm, I'm so used to being here. My freshman and sophomore year, that's kind of how we won games. We kind of won those rock fights of slobber knockers, and we want to keep teams under 55, and that was, that was the motto when I first came here, and just doing that against an elite offensive team is great. You know, We're just going to clean up the offense for the next game, and we're going to be all right. Is that the best defensive performance that you've played on at Rutgers? Um, I, I've been a, a part of a lot of elite defensive performances here. You know, Some things that come to mind is holding a team to four points at halftime, holding a, holding a t- team like Michigan State. I think we had them at 30 at the end of the game last year, so I wouldn't say it's the best, but it's definitely up there in the top five. How about that last play, that last offensive set for you? Uh, what was the call, and, and do you think he fouled you? Uh, yeah, I think he fouled me, and the call was, you know, I was going to get the ball, and I was going to get a screen from Cliff, but I really wasn't even <laughs> I, w- I really couldn't even get to my spot. You know, he, he had pretty good ball pressure, and then, you know, we just got a, a favorable call from the ref, and, you know, I just went up there, and I hit, had my foul shots. So now, you know, beating a team like Iowa at home, beating a team like Purdue, following up the win against Maryland, what does it say about the resolve of this team and, and where you're headed? It says a lot. You know, this is a resilient team. And a lot of people doubted us. A lot of people counted us out in the beginning of the season. It's all right. Uh, I tell dudes every week, after every game, that, you know, nobody's ever going to be satisfied with everything we do. We just got to keep going out there and being ourselves. And at the end of the day, we know who we are. We know who we are in that locker room. We know what we can bring to the court. And we're very confident that we can be any team in this league, even though we had Hiccups, you know, every day we show up to get better to clean it up. So, Ron, thanks for the time. Congratulations. Appreciate it. Absolutely incredible. Harper said it. This team believes in themselves. They believe in Coach Peichel. And that's all that matters. All the other outside noise. They didn't listen to it. They believed when everyone else doubted them. Keep doubting this team. Keep taking them for granted. And they're going to come up with performances like this. It began and ended with defense. After the game, I asked Peichel, was this the best defensive performance of his tenure? I mean, that's pretty good. I think we can. Absolutely. You know, um, I think we can. We turn turn the ball over a lot, too. Like, and, you know, we got to take care of that. But, uh, you know, I think we got more in the tank, too, defensively. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good effort against a a team that can flat out score. 
did he say we can play better? Coach, if you can play better defense than that, I want to see it. That made everyone in the room kind of chuckle, including Geo Baker. All right, that, that's Steve Peichel being Steve Peichel. Of course, you can always play better. They're always challenging their team to play better offensively, defensively, play the perfect game. That's as good as it gets. And if you don't think, without even looking at statistics, all you had to do was see Mulcahy diving on the floor for a loose ball, Dean Reber diving on the floor, Cliff Amore diving on the floor. They were diving on the floor all night. Guys cramping up, Omori, Mulcahy. These guys were exhausted. There's an old saying in sports, leave it all on the field. Leave it all on the basketball court. This team literally left it all on the court and they walked out as winners. They all buy in. They all know their role and they all excel in their role. From the last guy on the bench to Ron Harper and Geo Baker, the stars of this team. Let's not forget, it was only a few years ago that Geo Baker was the star of the team. He has taken a back seat to Ron Harper Jr. And they're fine with it. How about Cliff Amore? Running on fumes, cramping up. Didn't have a good offensive game. Finished with a career-high 14 rebounds. And believe me, this game was even at the half. They were even on the boards. Rutgers blew them away in the second half rebounding. Finished plus 11, 49-38. For those of you who like statistics, Iowa, in all of their losses this year, has been out-rebounded. So that is one key statistic. Of all the other statistics I gave you, the one definitive statistic that happened in this game was if you out-rebound Iowa, you win. Rutgers won this game with heart. They won it with determination. They won it with guts. They won it with guile. Now, did they win with a little luck? You better believe they did, okay? I will argue this with any Rutgers fan. That was not a foul. Oh, by the letter of the law, he had his hands on him. All right, you want to call that? You want to call that foul in the first two minutes of the game and set the tone? Listen, if you were watching this game for 40 minutes, there was clutching, there was grabbing, there was hand checking. Bodies were banging. Guys were being pushed when they were going up for alley-oops. I saw it with my own two eyes. They were letting a lot go in this game. Was it a perfect officiated game? No. There is no perfect officiated game, but they had let these guys play for 39 minutes and 58 seconds. And then suddenly the official wants to insert himself and say, oh, foul. What? There was a hush in Jersey Mike's arena that happened immediately. People were stunned. The Rutgers home crowd, trust me, that place, 7,000 plus fans, they were hoping that Ron Harper Jr. would have some magic one more time and hit another buzzer beater and they'd storm the court. Give the man a shot. We'll never know. Instead, <laughs> foul, two shots, 
1.9 seconds left. I don't care that Keegan Murray got a shot off from 24 feet. That was an air ball at the buzzer. That game, for all intents and purposes, was over when Ron Harper sank both free throws. When he sank the first free throw. You know what? Leave your whistle in your pocket and let them play. I am getting tired of going on and talking on the podcast about poor officiating. You got to have an idea of how the game is going. You have to have an idea of what's at stake. You have to have an idea of how much time is left on the clock. And unless somebody truly, truly gets hit, hammered, undercut, and it's obvious, let them play. Don't insert yourself and ruin a game. And now, instead of everyone talking about one of the greatest finishes in college basketball in the season, we're talking about an official who decided to blow his whistle and make that call at that moment the most talked about thing in this basketball game. How about the defense that Ron Harper Jr. and the rest of his teammates played on Keegan Murray, the leading scorer in the country who came in averaging over 23 points a game. He had 13 points, 10 below his season average, shot five of 14, and trust me, he was exhausted after this game. He couldn't wait to get on a flight home back to Iowa. I'm telling you right now, as he was entering the airport gate in the terminal and entering the plane, I wouldn't be surprised if Keegan Murray didn't look over his shoulder and see Ron Harper right over his left shoulder, because that's how much Ron Harper enveloped him and hounded him all night. Didn't give him a chance to get the ball. Didn't give him a chance to turn and shoot. Didn't give him any daylight. Made him work for all 13 points. He hasn't had to work harder for 13 points, maybe in his life. Think about that. What a job defensively. That's what we should be talking about. That's what we should be praising. Not talking about some cockamamie BS call with 1.9 seconds left because an official assumed that Keegan Murray was going to foul Ron Harper Jr. Let him play. Something has to be done about this at some point, so we're not talking about it. And I don't think I'm overreacting to it. This was too good of a basketball game. There were too many great things that happened in this game to be talking about Courtney Green and his whistle with 1.9 seconds left. We should be praising Rutgers, and we are. So now we'll get back on track and talk about some of the good things, like Cliff Amore with 14 rebounds, doing the dirty work when he didn't have it offensively, or Dean Reber coming in off the bench, or how about the bench overall, outscoring Iowa's bench 9-0, and Dean Reber just continuing to develop Four points, two assists, one block, and the rest of the bench. Ralph Gonzalez Agee provided three quality minutes. Think about that. He was on the court for less than three minutes, had four points in a critical stretch in the last few minutes of the first half where Rutgers was in a tight ball game and they got production from a guy they didn't expect to get it. Those are the unsung heroes. 
Oscar Palmquist, Mawat Mag with his teeth stitched together for the umpteenth time in his career. Poor guy fighting and giving all he can for five minutes. And Andre Hyatt giving 11 hard fought minutes, playing defensively, grabbing five rebounds. Only had one point on 0 of 7 shooting. Do you think he cared that he was 0 for 7 and had one point? Maybe a little bit, but man, must have felt so good after the game to get that win. This bench continues to develop. They embrace their roles. Their teammates love them. They come in. They provide a spark. There's no letdown. And they're just as valuable as the starters are on this team. They know it, and the starters know it. This team has taken on the identity of their head coach. This team has an identity. Hello, Big Ten. You're going to play Rutgers? Get ready. It's going to be a grind. And if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to earn it. How do you not enjoy that, Rutgers fans? How do you not embrace this team? Man, so much to root for. So much promise that wasn't there five, six weeks ago. What a turnaround it's been for Rutgers since losing to Seton Hall on December 12th. This team has won six of seven, only loss at Penn State. It's a credit to Steve Peichel, his staff, all of these players for not giving up, not listening to the critics and believing in themselves. All right. There's a guy out there who's never stopped believing in himself, who's never stopped working, who continues to find ways to help others through the game of basketball and through his, his endless network of contacts. This guy's always finding ways to promote New Jersey and to promote the game of basketball and everything he does, whether it's coaching at Montclair State or Ryder, FDU, Seton Hall, Rutgers, or Seton Hall again. I'm talking about none other than Fred Hill Jr. Freddie, it's been a long time since I've had the pleasure of speaking with you. And I want to welcome you to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, my friend. Great to talk to you. Well, Brian, it's, I really appreciate you having me on. And yes, it's been too long. Uh, I love where we're at right now in terms of the projects that we've got going on. But the one thing I miss about being in the gym, being at Rutgers, being at Seton Hall, is getting a chance to talk to the media, uh, sit down and talk hoops, uh, talk the craziness, uh -huh. the Seton Hall, Rutgers rivalry, just all the great things, the relationships you build over the years. It's the one thing that I miss the most, and I really appreciate you having me on so we can kind of walk down memory lane and talk about the great tradition and history of New Jersey basketball. Amen, Fred. Uh, and I do want to go down memory lane with you, but, but I also want to talk about some important things in your life that's been going on over the last few years since you last, last left Seton Hall in 2018. Uh, Fred, tell our listeners out there, you know, you haven't stopped coaching. So let's start with your coaching venture that you just started recently. Well, uh, when I left Seton Hall, uh, for years, I was fortunate enough to run the Team Hill Foundation. And it's an organization that helps at-risk inner-city kids 
And, and mostly what we did was we brought kids to uh, basketball games, uh, to different campuses around the state so that they could see what was out there for them. Some of these kids uh, never have been on a college campus and never saw a college basketball game. And of course, because I was at Seton Hall, because I was at Rutgers, we were able to take them to major college basketball, let them witness a Seton Hall game in the Prudential Center. Uh, one year we took a group of kids, a hundred of them, out of Jersey City using our connections with Jerry Walker and the Team Walker Foundation. And we took them into Madison Square Garden and we saw the Seton Hall Kentucky game. And wow. if anybody that game, one of the best college basketball games, maybe in the last 10 years, and here's a group of kids out of Jersey City sitting in Madison Square Garden, probably never had the opportunity maybe to ever go to a game in a garden, uh, get a chance to hear from former athletes about what it's like to go to college, experience a game like that, give them school supplies, backpacks, you know, a gift of a sweatshirt or a long sleeve t-shirt, things that these kids desperately need. Just really, really special to give back because basketball has been so good to, to me, to, to all coaches throughout the state. Um, I'm the fortunate one. And so that's kind of what we started to do. And then COVID hit and you really couldn't run events. You really couldn't have big events to raise money. So I was bored. I'm sitting around. I, I don't do that. And we came up with an idea. How do we help kids again? Let's start a basketball academy. Let's start a gap year program for the kids that are under-recruited and overlooked. That with a year of development, it's an eight-month program, we feel strongly that they'll get a scholarship and have the opportunity at some level to go to college for free. And so that's our new mission. Uh, it's called Compass Basketball Academy. And it's new this year. Uh, we've got 14 players. It's been absolutely phenomenal. I have ex-NBA coaches working with me. I've got a mentorship program with ex-players that help mentor these kids. Um, we're on the court six hours a day. This is a pure development program. Our kids have gotten so much better. And we're going to have young men that are going to move on and play college basketball and fulfill a dream because of what we've been able to establish in a very short period of time. Wow, Fred. Okay, so it's called Compass Basketball Academy. You just started it in the fall. These are high school graduates, right, who are right. under-recruited, overlooked. They're still looking for an opportunity. And instead of, let's say, going to a county college or a prep school, they're coming to your basketball academy for – six hours a day, they're talking basketball and learning from not only coaches and ex-NBA players and uh, honing their skills and creating a team that then plays in games. Is that what this is? That's exactly what it is. So we're an alternative to a traditional prep school. Okay. Is when you go to prep school, you retake high school classes or you take more advanced classes, but you're sitting in the classroom. And for the most part, you're getting a few hours of basketball development. We kind of go the opposite way. All day long, our classroom is the court. And we have a nutritionist that gives you breakfast. And it's developed for you. Some guys need to lose weight. 
Some guys need to gain weight. So we've been at it now for about five months. We have a young man from California that needs to gain weight. He's already put on 10 pounds of muscle. We had a kid from Maryland that needed to lose weight. He's lost 17 pounds since he's been here in September. We have the best strength and conditioning player development coach in the country, maybe the world, and I don't say that and embellish. Rich Delatry was the first full-time strength and conditioning coach in the NBA, hired by the New Jersey Nets. He spent 22 years with them. He spent a year in the NFL. He spent 10 years with the Italian national team. He's been over in Europe the last five, six, seven years teaching basketball development, strength and conditioning to the European teams, professional teams. He's with us on a daily basis. He's phenomenal. Tom Barice, who was a college coach, New Jersey guy, coached in the NBA for the last 27 years. He's with us every day. Bill Carmody, head coach at Princeton, head coach at Northwestern. I had the opportunity to work with him at Northwestern. In my opinion, the greatest offensive mind there is in the game of basketball. He spent one solid month with us every day in our training camp and pops in on occasion. Got to get a guy by the name of Art Liptowski, Division II Hall of Famer, who for the last seven years was an NBA scout. He's with us three days a week. Former player of mine, Phil Flory, great individual skill guy. He's preparing to play in the new professional basketball league. He's with us every day, giving the guys, we say six hours. He's in there at seven in the morning. It's voluntary, but guys are coming in and working out with him for a half hour, 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. He comes back at night after our six hours. Guys are working out. This program is for guys that want to maximize their potential and be great players at whatever level they wind up with. And the one thing that we really emphasize is you will be more prepared. You're going through a college experience. It's the way we coach it. It's the culture we're building, and they will be the most prepared and more prepared than any senior coming out of high school going into college. Our facilities are the best in the country. We operate at a lifetime in Bridgewater. It's one of the nicest athletic clubs there is. Uh, from the amenities of two basketball courts to our restoration and recovery there's a cold pool, hot tub, sauna, steam room, indoor pool to a weight room that rivals any major college football weight room in the country. We have our own chiropractor. We've got our own sports psychologist. We have a professor from Rutgers that is my general manager and our academic advisor. We do life skills at night, bring in CEOs, bring in law enforcement, talk to our kids. They read books, question and answer with Scott O'Neill, who's the former GM, CEO, actually, of the Sixers. Um, Mike McDonald, who's the former CEO of Xerox, who wrote a book from the court to the boardroom. Um, played at Rutgers, good friend of mine. Guys like this come in and give our kids a different type of education, one that is pertinent 
to the life skills you need to be successful, not only when they go to college, but to take it with them for the rest of their life. Sounds like a wonderful opportunity. So what is the cost? How are you getting these players? And where do you find the competition in the games and the exposure for them? Well, one of the nice things, our cost is $36,000, which is about half of what it costs to go to a prep school. And that's soup to nuts. Uh, they live in a four-star hotel. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. Again, if an NBA team needed a hotel in a local place to stay, they would practice at Lifetime and stay in the AC Marriott in Bridgewater. So room and board, 12000 24,000 tuition. We play division two schools, division three schools, junior colleges, and the best prep schools in the country. We travel to a great tournament in Chicago at the end of the year. We play Army prep, Navy prep, Air Force prep, all the academies. So we're giving our kids the best competition and we're making them play against bigger, older, stronger guys. So they are getting prepared and they know what they're going to see when they get to the college level. I, I can't wait to see the end result and, and how you're able to place these kids at the next level. Uh, it sounds like money well spent and you're still going through it. Uh, I'm amazed by it. And, and I think you're onto something here and, and I wish you all the best with, with the Compass Basketball Academy, if anybody wants to be considered, should they get in touch with you or are you recruiting the kids that you see? It's word of mouth. We do have a website, uh, compassbasketball.com. Um, coaches recommend kids, um, but I still recruit because it's an investment. It's an investment in their future. And it's very important to me if a mom and dad are going to invest in their son's future that he has a legitimate chance to get a scholarship and go to college that he legitimately is a gym rat in the most affectionate way is a hard worker wants to maximize his potential so he can be an impact player when he gets to college some kids are not made for this program and this program is not designed to take any parent's hard-earned money if their son is not going to take full advantage. Doesn't mean every kid can get a Division I scholarship, maybe a Division II scholarship. Maybe a guy winds up going to JUCO for two years to get to a Division I level or a Division II level. But this gives them a foundation like none other. And the only thing we ask is that their son wants to be the best he can possibly be. And we build a culture that's a collegiate culture, that's a professional culture, so that they know how to attack everything moving forward in life on a daily basis in a professional way. It's fantastic, Fred. I just love hearing you talk about it. Love your passion for it. Compass Basketball Academy. So you, all right, you have Team Hill Foundation. You have Compass Basketball Academy. That's enough for most people, Fred. You know, I don't know. I don't even, there aren't enough hours in the day to do what you do. And yet somehow you're coming up with another venture that I guess I wanted you to explain it coming up, uh, you know, 
the national championship, April 4th, you're starting a basketball reunion for every high school and college program in New Jersey. Please tell us about that and, and explain, you know, how you're putting this together. Well, Brian, when you're having a couple nice glasses of Chianti <laughs> and, you, and you drank one too many, you come up with crazy ideas. Okay. And so it really is born out of my love for New Jersey, my love for Jersey basketball. You know, again, I played at Montclair State, my first coaching job. Coached at Ryder for three years. Coached at FDU for seven years. Coached at Seton Hall twice, total of eight years. Coached at Rutgers for five years. 24 years of my college coaching career, which has been so blessed, has been in the state of New Jersey. And that's a lot of teammates. That's a lot of players. That's a lot of players I recruited. It's a lot of players that I had the opportunity to coach. And we always talk about getting together. We always talk about, you know, my high school teammates. Hey, you know, I, I haven't seen Gary in 15 years. He moved away. What's he doing? You know, we should all get together. I mean, it's, it's something that's said, and it's something that really sports do for you. You are really a teammate for life. No matter where guys go or what path you take in life, you always talk about getting together. And so selfishly, but my idea was I would love to have all my former players in a room in one night. I would have all my teammates to be in a room in one night. And as I talk to people, every coach and every player says, wow, I wish I could get together with my teammates. And so you need a venue. You need maybe a reason to get guys to act. So we came up with the concept of the basketball reunion. And we're going to go to the Prudential Center. College basketball games played there. Pro games used to be played there. It's the arena besides the rack in the state of New Jersey. And we're going to celebrate the tradition and history of New Jersey basketball with a hall of honor and a reunion for every school in the state of New Jersey and watch the national championship game on April 4th. And so the concept is real simple. I graduated Verona High School. We're going to get every Verona High School alum, former basketball player, men and women, to come to the Prudential Center and get a chance to reunite, share stories, catch up, and have an unbelievable night. But our arch rival, Cedar Grove, the next town over, they're going to have a reunion of all the Cedar Grove guys that played basketball and all the Cedar Grove women that played basketball. And now I get a chance to catch up with guys that aren't your teammate, but were competitors that are friends of yours. And we live stories of the great battles you had. So you're talking 500 or so high schools in New Jersey, Fred. You've sent out invitations to these schools. Anyone can go. You don't know if you're going to get five people, 500 people, 5,000. It sounds 
like incredibly scary while incredibly exciting at the same time. <laughs> it's very scary. You're trying to put something together that you're right. I don't know if we're going to get, you know, a hundred people or 5,000 people. Although I'm going to put the arm on all my former players and teammates and friends. So we'll have a, a really nice crowd there. We're going to put the Princeton final four team in the hall of honor, the Rutgers final four team, Seton Hall. We're putting in Pete Carrill. We're putting in Mark Carino, Jerry Matthews. Those are the three winningest college coaches. We're probably going to put in the Montclair State AIAW Final Four. Rutgers, I think we talked about this. Probably another, we have magic moments I want to talk about. Like, and, and I never realized this. I went back and looked it up. I always thought about the shot. Tate George. So he's a Jersey guy playing for UConn. It's in the Meadowlands, Jersey. The guy making the call on CBS, UB Brown. That's a magical moment. Ron Harper beating the number one team in the country from half court. That's a magical moment. If we can get this sucker off the ground, this could become a yearly event that is one of the biggest events in basketball every single year. So that night, national championship, April 4th, at the Prudential Center, how long is it going to last and, and, and what type of itinerary can we expect that night? Well, there's a cocktail hour for the honorees and for VIPs that buy tables on the floor. And that will go for an hour. And then there's everybody else that comes in an hour later is interacting and, you know, you get literally a seat but the bars are open it's food beer and wine soda and everybody interacting with everybody and having a reunion then there'll be an hour-long program where we induct people in people in teams into the hall of honor and we're also going to recognize other people that aren't going to be in the hall of honor but they are in the hall of honor in a recognition award because there's so many great coaches, so many great players and people. Those people each year will have a chance to be inducted into the hall of honor in a category. That's an hour program. And then the national championship game starts. So we're starting at about six 30 and the national championship game comes on at nine and it goes to 1130. So, Cocktail hour, reunion, program, game. Wow. And how much does it cost? And how can people find out how they can get there? It's uh, on our website, the basketball reunion. Um, a ticket to the event is $100, which includes your food, beer, wine, and soda. Um, the VIP section, which is literally down on the court, uh, is $250 a ticket or $25 for a table of 10. Um, we've got great response already for people wanting to sit on the floor and see all the celebrities that are going to be there. We're in the process of putting together a name, image, and likeness deal with the current players at Rutgers, Seton Hall, and Princeton to have them in attendance. So not only... Are they part of what we're doing? 
but we're giving back to those programs by hiring them in their name, image, and likeness with the new rules in college basketball. So the night is going to be a phenomenal night. We want everybody to be able to come. Uh, we did everything possible to not outprice anybody. And for $100 to be able to come and be a part of this and see where it's going and watch it grow over the years, I think is phenomenal. The other component is every penny raised goes to the Team Hill Foundation to benefit all of our programming for inner city at-risk kids. So we're going to give back to all the communities that come to the basketball reunion and support the evening and give back through athletic programming, specifically basketball programming, to help those programs thrive, develop, and continue to get better and better and better. Fantastic. Fred, I, I, I don't know how you find time to do all this stuff. I, I don't know how you find time to think of this stuff. It, it's awesome. And before I let you go, Fred, I, I just want to talk about your experience as a coach in New Jersey, you know, especially Rutgers, Seton Hall, Fairleigh Dickinson. I mean, my gosh, you know, the players you recruited, you already mentioned some of them from Elijah Allen to Randy Foy at Villanova, the one that, you know, got away for Seton Hall fans, unfortunately, to, um, you know, Andre Barrett and Mike Rosario and Eddie Griffin. Uh, the names go on and on. What are you most proud of as your years as a college coach? 37 or so years. You know, I, I've been blessed. And there's so many moments. There's all great schools working with great people. Uh, I think I'm most proud of the kids that I was able to coach that allowed me to recruit them, coach them, mentor them, and watch them go on in life to be successful and other coaches. Early on, you and I, we talked about Marcus Toniel, you know, uh, recruited Marcus and coached him at Seton Hall. Uh, talk to those guys all the time. I can't tell you how many weddings I've been to, you know, of former players and birthdays. And when they have kids, the guys that call up and we tell stories, we talk about, you know, advice that they need or help them in their careers. And to me, that is what's truly special, the relationships. I mean, you can go through games, the Seton Hall, Rutgers rivalry. I've sat on both benches. We were both in the Big East. It was as intense and nasty as it could be. And when I was the coach at Seton Hall, there was nothing better to try to beat the living beep, beep, beep out of Rutgers. But when I was the coach at Rutgers, there was nothing better than to beat the living beep, beep, beep out of Seton Hall. Those two games, if we were ever both really good at the same time, which they're getting to now. Sure. That rivals Duke and North Carolina. It could rival Duke and North Carolina. It, that's how nasty, that's how intense it, it wasn't friendly now the game ends great coaches great guys but 
leading up to it and on the recruiting trail, it was, it was, it was a blood sport. It, 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 in, in the staff's minds, it's life and death. You're recruiting in the same league, the same type of kids. It was unbelievable. And I loved every second of it. And I am so glad that I am one of the very few. I don't know if there's anybody that sat on both benches and That's experienced true. from two different perspectives. Right. You know, you really, you really did. And Fred, you, you were involved in one of the most epic finishes in the rivalry when J.R. Inman hit that half court shot at the buzzer and Rutgers fans and Seton Hall fans are still talking about <laughs> you and you and Bobby just, I mean, the tension from the outside looking in, you guys were tough competitors. You didn't, the, the perception was you didn't like each other. That's part of the rivalry. And just the controversy after that game, you know, the, in the handshake line, Fred, it's, it's one of the most epic moments in Seton Hall history and, and you were involved in it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's really funny because it was a phenomenal game and JR, you know, we didn't call timeout. We, we had a play set up. If there's not enough time, we just get it in, get it up the side of the court. You know, we, we, we executed it perfectly. And it's funny how certain members of the media made so much out of the handshake. That wasn't even what the controversy was about. And there, there wasn't any really bad handshake or yelling. And I, I don't blame Bobby. And, and no, we didn't like each other. We didn't go out and have a beer after the game. <laughs> no pizza. <laughs> so it, it's totally legit. Okay. It doesn't make Bobby a bad guy, but he was the Seton Hall coach and I was the Rutgers coach. So Enough you don't said. like each other. And we're competitors. But the real crux of what had happened that people lost because of the shot was with about I'd have to go back and look it up. I'm going to say 30 seconds to go. Hamada Enjai got fouled very hard and came down and landed on his shoulder and his head. Hamada Enjai was a 51% free throw shooter. But when you step on the court, as a coach to check on your player, he automatically has to come out of the game. And the rule at the time was the coach gets to pick anybody to go in and shoot the free throws. I remember that. So Bobby went nuts and he was calling the ref and telling, he's not a doctor. <laughs> he's not a doctor. He can't do that screaming at the top of his lungs. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm laughing because I know the rule and it's a rule. And Hamade legitimately came down and I legitimately walked out. And he's got to come out. But I also knew I'm going to go to the bench and I'm going to pick an 80% free throw shooter to come in, even though he's a little cold, and make the free throws, which, is, which is what happened. And that put us up where I want to say it was Jamar Nutter came down. Yes, it was. And made a big shot to put them up by one. I think it was one. It could have been two, which gave us the chance to come down and hit the three at the, at the buzzer.
to win the game. And then he was going crazy because he said it came after the buzzer. So the handshake was nothing. The drama <laughs> was about me going on the court and checking out Hamaday and being able to sub a good free throw shooter in and Bobby not believing that the shot got off before the buzzer. And again, people made something about me clapping. And I was so happy for JR. I was so happy for our seniors. We had struggled that year. That game means everything. And while Bobby was jumping around and going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, I was jumping around <laughs> and celebrating my players. It's and a so, rivalry, Coach. It, it's it, a rivalry. Emotions. But you do. And so, yes, uh, people will make out of it what they want. I love it that they keep mentioning it. It's great for my guys. It's great for the rivalry. But no love lost. But tremendous basketball. Every game down to the wire, whether we're good or bad. And being in the Big East together, it really enhanced and made those games really special. Great rivalry still, but it's one game a year. Guys seem to like each other. There was no love lost. And whether it was Bobby Gonzalez or when I worked for Tommy Amaker and it was Kevin Bannon, who I grew up with and played high school basketball with, there was no love lost. Zero. From either perspective, no matter who the coaches were, when it was Gary Waters, I was the assistant. There was no love lost in that rivalry when we were both in the Big East. And it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. So, Fred, you have so many great moments, but yet, you know, as a head coach, uh, I know it didn't work out the way you envisioned it. You go to your dream school where your dad works. This is your dream job, I would think. Um, you're working at the same building that your dad is in and you take over a program you grew up watching and it didn't end the way you wanted it to. If you could go back in time, would you, would you change anything? Would you fix anything or do anything differently? You know, Brian, not really. I, I had a great experience. Okay. It's what happens in college sports, professional sports. Um, the only thing I would change is I wish Bob Mulcahy never was fired. Uh, gave me the opportunity of a lifetime. He was like a second dad to me. Um, ran a phenomenal program. We were building it the right way. We were moving forward the way we wanted to. My last year there was our best year. We were playing freshmen and sophomores. We started recruiting great players. Um, I think everything was moving in, in the right direction. And there was a change. And with change, people want their own people. And so I get it. I get it. I wish I had more time. It didn't work out that way. I loved every second of it. Love Rutgers. Like you said, my dad being the baseball coach. When you talk about my career, there was nothing more special than the four years at Rutgers and seeing my dad every day. And they're practicing behind the student section while we're practicing in the rack. And you can hear the ping in the back mm -hmm. and guys pitching. And he'd stick his head in and watch practice. And I'd stick my head over there and watch them. That. that is something 
that again is so unbelievably special. And again, we don't think there's ever been a father-son that coached two major sports at the same university in the history of college athletics. There's been fathers and sons that are in football together, whatever, but to be the head coach of basketball and the head coach of baseball just doesn't happen. And I can't tell you how special that is. I mean, you know, you talk about different moments and we can go on forever, but, you know, would I have done things differently? Of course, you try to learn and you look back and reflect, but not dramatically. We were in the best basketball conference in the history of college basketball. The toughest, best conference. That's not me saying that. That's Rick Pitino and Jim Beheim. okay? Guys that have seen it all and done it all. That stretch, go back and look. The Big East was putting 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 guys in the NBA in the first and second round draft. They're putting, and they're also putting nine teams in the NCAA tournament, as I remembered. And UConn was the nine seed in the Big East that went on and won a national championship. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, it, it was incredible. I, I can't go back. I'm not a statistical guy, but I challenge somebody to go look at the last 10 years and see how many pros come out of one conference. It was incredible. And not only pros, NBA All-Stars. So you're talking a whole different level. And then, you know what I would change, Brian? Because I made the schedule. <laughs> We're the only university, I believe, in the history of college basketball that played the number one, two, and three team in the country in the same week. Wow. We played Carolina, Pittsburgh, and UConn. One, two, and three in the same week. So I would go back and I would fire the schedule maker <laughs> for giving us North Carolina as the last game of the non-conference season before we opened up our Big East. But to be honest with you, that's what's awesome. Think about that. We played the number one, two, and two. Like to me, that's an unbelievably great challenge. For me, it was an unbelievably great challenge to try to rehab the Rutgers program, build it, build it with Jersey kids, get kids to come. And again, we were doing that. You know, Quincy Doobie could have stayed and we could have been very good in my first year. But the way I was raised, we sat down and Quincy really wanted to come back. Probably would have been a leading scorer in Rutgers history. But I said to Quincy, if you can get drafted in the first round, you got to go. That's guaranteed money. That changes your life. You're a kid from Coney Island in Brooklyn. You need to go if you can go. And Sacramento, the GM called me and said, Freddie, we're going to draft him in the first round. I believe it was the 21st pick. And Quincy and I sat there and I said, you got to go, my man. 
God bless you. Good luck. Work your rear end off. He was phenomenal. I only had the chance to coach him one year. He's a mentor in Compass Basketball Academy. And we've stayed incredibly close through all the years. He worked incredibly hard for me. Individual. He watched film. He became a pain in my neck because he wanted to constantly be in the gym, work, watch film, and get better. And that's what took his game from a very good college player as a sophomore to a first-round NBA pick as a junior. And I appreciated every second of being able to coach and mentor him, and it was awesome. And it was awesome that, again, another great dad, beautiful little girls, great wife, lives down in Florida, is now a coach, ready to hone his craft and give back. That's what makes basketball so special. That's what these relationships are about. That's what the teammate for life is about. That's how the basketball reunion was born from all these experiences, all these players. And I, I got to read you one thing, Bri, if you'll indulge me. I know I can talk. I know I've been. <laughs> That's an understatement, coach. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I always try to. I read a lot of stuff. I, I read a lot of quotes. I always try to steal the good stuff. And when I see something that really strikes a chord, and, and this this statement did, it was on LinkedIn, so it's public, but it, it was from Sidney Johnson, who, as New Jersey fans know, played at Princeton and was the head coach at Princeton. And he's doing TV games now. And he's a, he's a great analyst, has brings so much to the game because of his knowledge. And on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago, he was doing a game. And, and I'm going to read what he wrote because to me, it sums up what the basketball reunion and, and relationships and being teammates for life is all about. So Sydney wrote, with a good amount of joy and gratefulness. I was back in the gym this past Saturday afternoon. The VCU Rams, looking more and more like an NCAA tournament team by the game, faced off versus the LaSalle Explorers. And I offered up my best college basketball analysis for the game on USA Network. I can say this with all honesty, in the same way, that I witnessed my kids growing up. I can see the brightest moments in my life reflected in the different gyms I've been in. Amazingly, each team had an assistant coach that was a former teammate of mine in professional basketball overseas. LaSalle assistant coach Jamal Robinson, who started Virginia in college and played for Miami, Milwaukee, and Portland in the NBA, and VCU assistant coach and Rice University Hall of Famer, Brent Scott, who played for the NBA's Indiana Pacers and Real Madrid, among others. I spent time catching up with each of them during pregame warmups. And for a moment, I wanted the clock to stop counting down the seconds 
for the start of the game. All we did was laugh. And when you see an old friend and teammate, there's a different kind of laugh that you share together. This game has been good to me. That sums it up. That says it all about what the basketball reunion is all about and the relationships and the bond that you build through this wonderful game of basketball. And it's not done anywhere in the country as well as it is in the state of New Jersey. Amen, Fred. Uh, that is the last word. I, I Listen, as, as I'm listening to that, I thought of my own reunions that I have each year with my high school buddies from South Catholic High School in Connecticut. Uh, we get together every Christmas, the day after Christmas for the last five, six years, and it's different. You're right. You know, the bonds you had created uh, still last 30 plus years later. The laughs are different. The times are different. And each moment, each year that goes by that we're together, it's special. And, and you're going to create something like that on a grander scale in New Jersey. Uh, Fred, I want to buy a ticket. I want to be there Monday, April 4th. Uh, best of luck with the basketball reunion with the Compass Basketball Academy and, of course, Team Hill. Uh, Fred, it's been awesome catching up with you. Fantastic stuff. Brian, I hope to see you at a game somewhere. And I will see you April 4th at the basketball reunion. I'm going to talk to you more about that. Absolutely. Now, one question, one answer before we go. Seton Hall plays Rutgers once a year. Who does Fred Hill root for? Go. I wear blue pants <laughs> and a red blazer. And only my wife knows what color underwear I'm wearing. Bam. <laughs> and you know what? I think we're all better off knowing that only your wife knows that. So keep that between the two of you. Uh, awesome stuff, Fred. Uh, thank you for coming on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. And we're going to talk again in person, and I'll have you on again in another podcast. Thanks, Fred. Thanks for having me, Bryce. All right. You're the best. Big weekend coming up in the Tri-State for Seton Hall and St. John's that will go a long way to impacting the standings and the season for both teams. Those two teams are going to meet at MSG on Saturday, plus two days later at Walsh Gym. First Big East game played on Seton Hall's campus since 1985. That will be historic. This was a historic podcast with the great Fred Hill Jr. And man, when you talk basketball royalty in New Jersey, the Hills are right up there with the Hurleys, no question about it. My thanks to Freddie. My thanks to you for listening to another edition of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Enjoy the basketball, everyone. Get out there and go support the basketball reunion and what Fred Hill's doing. Get your teammates out there. Get your boys out there. Get your girls out there. And look it up Monday, April 4th. It could be the start of something big here in New Jersey. Thanks for listening, everybody. So long.